We are back, and we are better than ever. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the best sports podcast show that is out there. I am your host, Malcolm Campbell, a.k.a. The Professor. And this past weekend was absolutely fantastic. We had the NFL Draft. We had the second round of NBA fight or NBA playoffs. Game of Thrones. I saw Endgame on Sunday. Oh, my God. We're, we're going to do something special for Endgame on this podcast. We're going to do something very special for Endgame on this podcast. But, oh, basketball. Let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. So, oh, my God. So, let's just get into it right off the jump. The Milwaukee Bucks were at home against the Boston Celtics in the second round, in game one. And this was a critical game for both teams. Both teams had to show up, period. It was a critical game. And the reason why I say that is because the Bucks have been on such a regular season high this whole entire season. You know, doing the things that they did. Giannis possibly winning the MVP, what it looks like he should win the MVP. Um, the Bucks had a great season. They had a great season. And when you look at what they did against what Boston was struggling to do, a lot of people just assumed that, you know, the Bucks were going to just automatically go to the finals, basically. Boston was supposed to be that team. I still believe they're that team. And I believe Milwaukee is the team that's not ready. But with the Bucks winning 60 and 20, 60 wins and 22 losses, and with Celtics with 49 and 33, um, and how do they ha- and how they handled themselves, um, it it was an interesting season, that's for sure. That's for sure. But the issue that the Bucks have right now when it comes to the Boston Celtics after losing game one. I believe their biggest issue now, because they lost 112 to 90, I believe the Bucks' biggest issue now is that they need Giannis to step up and have a monster game, period. He has to have a monster game. And Boston in game one has shown that they can switch on everything. They can defend at a high level. Gordon Hayward coming off the bench has really provided for them. He has really stepped up his play in the past month. Um, And you also have to look at just the overall performance from the Bucs players. Eric Blusso didn't show up. Uh, Sterling Brown didn't show up. Lopez didn't show up. Um, They definitely miss Malcolm Brogdon. They seriously miss him, and I still think the Celtics will win this series even if they had Brogdon, and he might come back in this series. He might come back games three and after. But right but right now, they don't have him. They do not have him on the court. And the biggest issue they are going to have is that their backcourt has to perform at a higher level. They have to play better than Kyrie and Jalen Brown. The issue with that is it's hard to perform better than those two guys if defensively you can't stop them. Kyrie got whatever shot he wanted. I believe he finished 12 of 20 from the field. Yeah, 12 of 21 from the field, 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists. Um, Kyrie was phenomenal. His fadeaway game, I'm like, ugh, let me tell you something. I'm going to have to watch. 
a mix of the NBA's greatest fadeaways because I think he might have the best. It it is beautiful how his his style of play is just it's so hard to describe, but so amazing to watch. Because the things he's able to do with the basketball, he really shouldn't be able to do, or you think he could do. But because of his size, he's still able to do it. Nobody could do the things Kyrie's doing if they're not his size. <clears throat> like, I truly, as much as I love Jordan, as much as I love Kobe and D-Wade, those three guys can't do what Kyrie does with the basketball when it comes to the crossover and the dribbling because of his height that he has. His height is the advantage. You would think it'd be his disadvantage, but he's using it in a way that's creative for his offense. And it's so mesmerizing. Like when Kyrie gets the ball, you're like, all right, bro, what you going to do? Like you're excited when he gets the ball. And to me, that's why he's my favorite player when watching him play. He is a one-man show. And there's another one-man show that we're going to discuss. And his name is Kevin Durant. Our next segment about the Warriors and Rockets is officiating in that game. But we're going to say on Celtics for right now, Kyrie. He had a great game. Yeah, whatever shot he wanted, defensively he was engaged. Kyrie's demeanor, his play speaks to me, but his demeanor also speaks to me as well. I don't, I can't, I can't kind of read him in a way, and that's always been who he is. But there is a part of me that feels like it's just how he walks and talks and carries himself. He feels like very mellow like I can't tell if he's sad or if he's upset but his demeanor feels very mellow but that could also just be him focused now granted I do have to watch um his post game um because between Julie and I we love post games interviews they give some of the best content of what happened in the game so I really gotta watch Kyrie's put and Horford's post interview together about this game but Horford's defense was phenomenal he showed up Big time on Giannis. The blocks that he had were unbelievable. He blocked them twice. It was it was beautiful. You know, his ability to put there between Morris, Baines, Orford, anybody that was guarding Giannis made sure, especially the bigs and the forwards, that they put their hands on him, meaning they would take their elbow or they take their forearm and press it up against him with their elbow so he couldn't extend and get that extra reach that he's been getting on a lot of people all year long. They're being physical with him and his lack of jumper. Like, there's this one play where Bledsoe, not Bledsoe, Middleton drives in the middle of the lane. Uh, great play by Jalen Brown. Gets the ball loose by, you know, sticking in hands down there. And Middleton kicks it to Giannis. And Giannis probably has a good 10, 12 feet from anybody else being in his vicinity. And instead of pulling up for a step in jumper or even shooting a three, he puts the ball on the ground and he drives into a three-man wall. It that that didn't make sense. And his inability to shoot hurt him in that moment. And it hurt them in this game. Now, Granny's like, oh, he can't shoot. Well, he shot three, five, from three. Yeah. But you also have to understand that's not his game. When you have him taking jumpers, you're taking him out of his game. Game two is gonna be very important. Because Jalen Brown has looked very impressive to me in the playoffs. Now, granted, Jason Tatum didn't show up yesterday. But I expect him to show up again in this series and be more consistent. 
Um, Gordon Hayward has shown up a lot in this series. Um, he got the shots he wanted. He was patient. Um, he was aggressive, and that's and that's what this Celtics team has to continue to do. They have to continue to be aggressive. They cannot be elastic with days of cool and sleep on their opponents. Like game two, you have to understand and you know that when that game starts, the Bucks are going to come out swinging. And the first quarter, to me, in that self in that game will be key because if the Celtics lead or are still having a close game within single digits then that tells me that not even Milwaukee's best punch can take the Celtics out. And I'm willing to see that. I can't wait to see that tomorrow on Tuesday because it's going to be very important. It's going to be very important how they come out. Both teams come out in game two in the first quarter because that quarter will dictate the officiating. It will dictate the tempo of the game. It will dictate how the game will pretty much end in my eyes. Now, granted, I say all this and the Bucks could be up by 8, 9, 10, but I'd still have confidence that Boston can get the job done because they have Kyrie, they have Horford, and they're a really good basketball team. And when I also look at this series, Boston's defensive strategy, do you change it? I think they can do better on defending on the perimeter. You know, there were some wide open shots that the Bucks players were missing. I think they can do a better job on the perimeter. Absolutely. Excuse me. I also believe that for the Bucks, your guys just have to make shots. That is also true. They can't be cold from three-point range at all. And, and see, that's the thing. They were cold. I think that's the thing people really aren't realizing. They were cold at home. They were cold at home. When does that happen? When role players are cold at home. Usually they're cold on the road. They're not cold at home. So I kind of have an issue with that because I, I I truly believe this. And I've seen it. This is the second time I've seen it with Giannis. And maybe he'll respond in game two. I hope he does. But if they lose game two, a lot of people are going to look at Giannis. They really, they really should have been started looking at Giannis. And I, I started looking at him. I told you guys this before. But I told you guys this when the Bucks were at a, at um, Los Angeles up against the Lakers, a primetime game. Um, and LeBron and Giannis were both playing. And this was in the middle of the Lakers' bad, disgusting, pitiful stretch that they were in um, defensively in just a period as a team. This is when people criticized LeBron and his defense. And then that game... LeBron showed up, but Giannis didn't. I, I believe Giannis had 16 points and nine rebounds. I believe LeBron had, I think he had 28 in that game. Um, about to double check. But in that game, I saw a lot. I saw a lot. And I didn't see things from Giannis that I was hoping to see. I was hoping he would take advantage of the moment. I hoping I was hoping he would he would seize that moment. Yeah, LeBron had 31 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. Yeah. Uh yeah, I gave Okay, so Giannis had 16 points, 15 rebounds and 6 assists. Like it was just it was bad. It was bad. Now granted the Bucks won that game, but Eric Bledsoe was the reason why they really won that game. Um I was really upset in Giannis's play. He wasn't aggressive and also his demeanor. 
his demeanor to me showed me a lot. Like these post games are important. His demeanor just said to me, I was like, do you want it? I mean, people are talking about you being better than LeBron. You're going up against LeBron in LA, in his house, Lakers, prime time. And with your skills and your talent, and it, to me, it just felt like the moment was too big for him. And last night, I saw that again. I saw that again from him, where it, the moment was too big. And I think one thing we really got to stop doing, and this will be a topic we talk about later in the show, but we got to stop giving some of these players a lot of credit for the regular season. And then come playoff time, they don't show up and still give them credit as if they've done a lot. Like, James Harden had a great regular season, but Stephen A., let's, let's be real here. The best offensive player in the game, really? Really? Like, let's not, let's not, let's not go that far. Let's, 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 let's just stop getting into the hype too much because I believe just as viewers and as fans of these sports that we love so much, I believe that you should not fall. I, I think you shouldn't fall for that. I think you should have a more open mind. And I think you should have the ability to step back and be like, you know what? Okay. Let me look at this situation from this angle. He's a great offensive player and Giannis. And so is James, but come playoff time, what have they done that has propelled them into that next level? They have not done it yet. Now, granted, can they? Absolutely. They have the talent. They have the ability. But at the end of the day, it's not about that talent or your ability to do it. It's about your mentality. It's about do you have the mental capacity? Do you have the mental toughness to understand what needs to be done and what you need to be able to do? I think, you know, one one series, I've, I've been getting into this Kobe breakdowns on ESPN Plus, by the way, it's the best $5 I ever spent. It's the best $5 I've ever spent. Because he goes into detail. I forget what episode. It was the second episode. And he talks about. No. It was the first episode. I'm sorry. He talks about 2009. When they went up against the Denver Nuggets. And the Western Conference Finals. And he talks about how. Melo is one of his favorite players. To play against. And he also talked about how difficult. It was to play against him. Also. He talked about the physicality Melo brought to the game and that in game one, he fell from Melo's trap of being physical. And those are the highlights where you see them going at it and biting each other up and stuff like that. And he says in the in the show, he was like, I fell into his trap and I had to change my mindset and change my offensive game to throw him off his game. So what did Kobe do? Kobe ap- approached the next game a whole lot different. When he went to Denver, he said, I had to keep Melo moving. I couldn't let him be stable. I had to keep him moving. I had to move without the basketball a lot. I had to wear him out. So now his physicality doesn't come into the game. Now he's worn out. Now offensively, his shots aren't falling. And now he's got to force a lot of things. Kobe approached the game the right way. That's why I compare Kyrie a lot to Kobe because one, Kobe's Kyrie's mentor and he looks up to him and he's also taken after Kobe and Kobe's looked out for him and helped him along the way. He has that same mentality and mindset. You have to be able to show that you can change and, and still play at a high level. 
We'll see what happens with Giannis in game two. But you have to be able to change your game and affect it in a different way. And that first half, like if you're Giannis and you don't have it going, you got to make sure you get everybody else involved. You got to make sure your teammates get going because once they start making shots, now the late help, the doubles can't come. Um, it, it creates more difficulty on Boston's end, even though I think they'd be able to handle it. But you at least be presenting a different challenge. And I think that's the one thing that the Bucks have to do. That's a change they have to make. They have to make changes in game two. They Obviously, they have to play better. Now, game two is Tuesday. I believe it's the first game. It's an 8 o'clock game, and boy, will it be interesting. This will be a very, very, very interesting game, and I can't wait. I have Boston winning this series, but I can't wait to see what happens next. So, that being said, we're moving on to the last game that was going on Sunday, and that was a game I had to see highlights of and rewatch because I was too busy watching in-game at that time. So... We got to talk about the Warriors and Rockets game. Now, we're just going to get into it. We're just going to get into it. Was there some bad officiating? Yes. Was there a foul on James Harden's last shot by Draymond? Absolutely not. Here's why. When you watch this play, see, that's the, see, that's the thing that people have to be careful about. When you watch this play... James, both players go up. And then once you pause them when they go up, they're both going straight up. The issue that I have isn't that there wasn't a foul call to be made, because I don't believe there was. The issue that I have was the simple fact that James Harden kicks his feet out when he shoots and there's a defender by him. I say all these things. Because James does that when the defenders are around him. But I promise you, when he's wide open, oh, he's up and down. So when you look at those two different types of shots, this leads to my next point. And it's very crucial and important because Chris Paul did the same thing. Once you start looking to play out a foul or act out a foul or you're more focused on selling the foul more than making the shot, the refs kind of watch and see that. And I believe that's something that people are not talking about. And that's why this is the best sports podcast show that's out there. Because I'm going to be honest, you cannot be more focused on selling the foul call than making the shot. If you look at where the shot ended up, it wasn't even close to being made. It wasn't even close. I could have made a better attempt than he did. And when you combine that with the simple fact that, yes, throughout the game, the officiating was not good. They had a bad game officiating. I believe they will pick it up in game two. But I think it's an ultimate disservice for Mike D'Antoni, Chris Paul, and James Harden to sit there and say what they say and act like you ain't going to have a problem with it. No, I'm having a serious problem with what you say. You're talking about James Harden. Uh, where is that picture that I had of his quote? 
Here it is, James Harden, I quote, I just want a fair chance, man. Just call the game away it's supposed to be called and we'll live with the results. You never live with the results. So I don't want to hear it. You live with the results if you're winning. But if you lose, it's like, come on, man, that's not fair. What do you mean? You've been doing this leg kickout thing all year long to defenders. And granted, you really shouldn't get the call, but the refs have been giving it to you. And you and Chris Paul have been so focused on trying to sell the call instead of trying to make it. You can't do that. Your main focus can't. That's not that's not your focus. If you are that guy that you say you are, if you are that MVP you believe to be, if you are the best player in the game you probably feel or your teammates or whoever or some nut job out there, believe that you are, and you're the best offensive player in the game according to Stephen A. Smith, I hated that he said that. You show up in that moment and you make that shot and you tie that game 103 apiece. Period. Force the Warriors to take a timeout. They advance the ball. Now they get the last shot. And maybe you get a steal or defensively you get a stop and then maybe you do get one more play because then you take a timeout, you advance the ball, and you probably have one shot. Maybe. That's if they want the last shot. If they don't want the last shot, I mean. Excuse me. But you can't sit here and tell me that they were robbed. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I love the fact that the refs do change the calls up during the playoffs because they should. I think there also should be more consistency. But I think the playoffs, they look at the regular. I believe the referees on their committee, they sit down and say, okay, okay, these are the plays during the regular season that we didn't call or we did call. And I think the playoffs, they try to make up for it. And the plays that they used to call, they said that's not really a foul because you're kicking your feet out and you're not giving your defender a place to land either. So, I mean, I can call a double foul on both of y'all, but that would lead to nothing. So, did I believe Draymond fouled him on that play? Absolutely not. Do I believe James Harden's antics was what forced him to take a bad shot? Absolutely. Absolutely. You show up in that moment. You show up in that moment. You have to. If you're that guy, you prove everybody wrong. I'm just, I'm I'm disappointed in their comments. Um, you know, jacking up 47 threes, man, that Mike D'Antoni, you got to make them. P.J. Tucker, Clint Capella, you got to step up. Chris Paul, you can't get thrown out the game, man. I understand, you know, you're frustrated, but at that point, it's still, it's still a game. You know, it's still a game, and there's time still left on the clock, so anything could have happened um, that could have helped y'all get back into it. But do I believe this series is over? I still think the Warriors are winning it, but I don't I don't think it's over. I think if Houston wins game two, we have a series. But they lose game two of the series is over. Then that's when I believe the series is over. Uh, Kevin Durant has been absolutely phenomenal. In this game, he scored 35 points and he was 11 of 25 from the field. Kevin Durant Ever since his um, I'm Kevin Durant, you know who I am comments, 38 points, 14, 14 to 23 from the field, 33 points, 21 from 12 from 21 from the field, 
45 points, 14 and 26 from the field, 50 points, 15, 26 from the field. I say these things because KD joined the class of LeBron, AI, and Jordan as a fourth player within a single year to score 200 points in a five-game span over the last 30 postseasons. That's some great company to be in. I think KD's playing at, a, at, a, at another level. I've been saying it for a long time. It's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy. He has been on an absolute tear. An absolute tear. And there's, and there's, from what I've seen, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Nobody can guard Kevin Durant out there. I'm not seeing anybody out there that can really guard him one-on-one. I truly believe he's the best player in the game. I I emphatically believe that. I've been sticking behind it for the past two years. And if he wins again, oh, now people are going to jump on the bandwagon. But trust me, y'all, trust me, y'all already know where you heard it first. You heard it here at the Out of Bounds podcast show from the professor. Because KD's game is just so ridiculous. And I think for Golden State and game two, what they need to do, they need to get Steph and Clay going. They need to get those two guys going. KD's always going to get his. He's Kevin Durant. But they need Steph and Clay to play better. They have to. They have to play better. Because Steph giving you 18 points, that's not good enough. Clay giving you 13 points, that's not good enough. Eric Gordon shouldn't tie you in points. You know, I just happened to scroll back past this James Harden stat line. He was 9 for 28 from the field. 4 for 16 from 3. I don't care what anybody says. Efficiency should matter to these players. It it, it just should. If your shot isn't going, then go to the free throw line. Because I believe when you shoot jump shots in the playoffs sometimes, and I see your stat line like that, 9 for 28, 4 for 16 from the field. And let me see how many free throws he hit. Oh, granted, he did go to the line 14 times. And he was 13 or 14 from the line. But you got to... Efficiency should matter to you as a player. That should matter. If your shot isn't going, continue to attack. You have 14 free throws, bro. Keep going. Don't stop. So I had an issue with that. But Kevin Durant, he's just un- he's just unstoppable. He's just absolutely unstoppable. And Golden State, if I'm if I'm Steve, you need to get Steph and Clay going. You got to get them going. Because KD's going to continue to do his thing. And he's going to continue to dominate. And he's going to continue to make things a nightmare for a lot of teams. But Steph and Clay's got to show up. Steph showed up late with that big-time shot to make it 103. To put them ahead, I believe it was 98, 103 at that point. But you got to, you, Steph's got to step up. Got to step up. Now, game one for me for the Philly game was disappointing. Um, this series, I I just don't, I, I got to see something from Philly, man. 
They gotta show me something. I'm I'm not I'm not seeing it, y'all. Um, Raptors have a 64% chance of winning this series. That's so lopsided. I just I really don't know. I, I haven't seen it from Philly, and I and I don't believe they can get past Toronto. I just don't. They don't have anybody that can guard Kawhi Leonard. And see, that's the thing. They don't have anybody that can guard him at all. And tonight, I'll be able to see how Philly responds. But, man, Kawhi went off, bro. 45 points, 16 of 23 from the field, 3 from 7 from 3. Pascal Siakam, 29 points, 15 from 12 from 15 from the field, 3 from 4 from 3, 7 rebounds. Kawhi had a double-double with 11 rebounds. I mean, granted, I mean, it took 45 points because you got to think about it. Gasol gave you eight. He didn't give you squat. Lowry didn't give you nothing. He gave you nine. I'm done with Kyle Lowry. Um, Danny Green, seven points. One for four for three. You know, Lowry 0 for four from three. I mean, it's just that, that only two good players really showed up. The bench didn't show up at all. Ibaka had seven. Van Fleet, Van Vliet had three. That's the thing with Philly is that Kawhi and Leonard, Kawhi and Leonard, Kawhi and Seattle just went off. But the question now becomes, can they do it again? And will that eventually wear them out? Because I don't believe Kawhi's going to score 45 every night. But for Philly, Tobias Harris, 14 points, 15 rebounds. Embiid, 16 points. He's got to play better than that. You got to give your team more than 16 points. Simmons, you got to give your team more than 14. Granted, he was 7 from 8 from the field. 9 rebounds. He has to continue to be aggressive. J.J. Redick had 17 points, but he got cold from 3 in the second half. He was 6 of 13 from the field. 5 of 12 from the 3. Uh, Butler's got to show up. He only had 10 points. He was 4 of 12. They have to play better. Their starting 5 has to play better. Because if their starting 5 plays better, they win game 1. They won game one. I mean, I'm looking at this point spread right here. It looks like they had a 13-point win. I can tell you right now. I can tell you absolutely right now. If Philly starting five plays better, they would have won game one. But they have to play better tonight. If they can go back to Philly 1-1, it's a series. It's a series. But they've, they've got to win tonight. If they don't win tonight, the series is over. The series is over. Their starting five has to step up. They have to step up tonight, regardless. Um, there's not really not much to cover on this Philly game because they just got their butts whooped. And I really do not want to spend a lot of time on Philly right now because, granted, I really like Philadelphia, but they do have to play better. They absolutely have to play better. And B has to dominate Marcus Saul. Like, you can't let an old Marcus Saul beat you. Like, you can't allow that to happen. You can't allow that to happen. At all. Now, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Today, we're going to talk about the NFL draft. Yes, I know the football fans out there have been waiting for me to talk about football a lot. But we definitely will discuss about the NFL draft. Uh, Kyle Murray going number one was obvious. Um, and then Nick Bosa going to um, Nick Bosa going to San Francisco was obvious. The Raiders... You know, Mel Kuyper thinks that they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to be on the rise, whatever. You're, you're a draft expert, Nada. 
not a prediction, not a game to game analysis NFL expert like that. But okay, love now. But I don't know. John Gruden, Antonio Brown, it's, it's going to be bad. They botched, I feel like they botched the fourth pick. Like you didn't have to take take who he took uh, from Clemson. Wasn't even the best defensive lineman. Um, you know, they took Rashad Jones, the running back. That was a good pickup. They also took a wide receiver. I can't remember what school they took him from. Um, but, you know, that was an okay pick. Um, I think the team that had the worst draft was the Giants. Uh, they're just idiots. They're just, they're idiots. Um, once it, once again, I've always felt like the Manning name has helped the Manning brothers more in their career than anything else. Because here it is once again where they draft Daniel Jones. And granted, he has the connection with the Manning family because he'd be at their football camps. And their events and stuff. So they already know him. They like him. So I believe they didn't get the right quarterback. Haskins fell to the Redskins all the way at 15. And that I think that's good for him because he grew up in D.C. He grew up in Maryland. He wanted to play in Maryland. So that's good for him. Uh, I think he will show up. One of my friends, Alex, he doesn't believe he will. He's not high on him. But I told him, was like, he's better than what you've had. And Mark Sanchez... Alex Smith is not gonna play again. Kirk Cousins, like you like he's better than what you've had. So I think he's gonna step up and play well. Um I think another big issue um that I had in this draft was the Broncos picking Drew Locke. Um John Elway does not have a good track record when it comes to quarterbacks. It, it we'll see it happen again. He just hasn't hit. I mean he took Brock Eisweiler, Tim Tebow. I mean, how many times has has he hit and missed on quarterbacks? John uh, Lynch. I mean, he's 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 botched quarterbacks. He's botched quarterbacks, and it's okay. Like sometimes great players aren't great evaluators, and that's okay. Um, I didn't really like that pick. I think Pittsburgh's pick at ten was a good pick, but it's also a risk. Um, because I saw they released a video of the kid, I believe his name is Devin Rush, um, Michigan. And they showed him they were going up against Michigan State, and he was tearing up the turf of the Michigan State, you know, logo in the middle of the field, and it caused big controversy and a fight going on. This was before, this was during warm-ups and stuff like that. So I saw that, and I was like, they're getting another attitude player? Yeah, that's exactly what that locker room needs. Also, he's undersized for a uh, linebacker. They already have linebackers that are undersized. So why draft more linebackers that are undersized? I just don't understand Pittsburgh. But I believe the team that had overall the um, the best draft, oh, without a doubt, I believe it was the New England Patriots. I think the Patriots had the best draft. Um and you can say I'm biased, whatever. But, I mean, them picking, you know, do, how they do the draft is very interesting. It's always been interesting to me. Because this year, more than anything, the Patriots were aggressive. But they were also conservative. Um, you know, we've lost a lot. We've lost a lot this offseason. I think they had the best draft. Um, when New England drafts, they draft differently from everybody else. They draft completely different from everybody else. 
We're drafting Kill Harry for Arizona State, the wide receiver. That was a big pickup because when you look at his tape and you look at his play, he's a big physical receiver. He can go up and get those 50-50 balls. Uh, he's a deep threat. He's a really good route runner. Um, some people say he has separation issues, but I don't think that's going to be an issue in New England. Um, I believe with Julia Edelman being there, I believe he will be helped in that department and with Tom Brady um, and Josh McDaniels. He will be open. Um, I, I do love the uh, Joe Quan Williams cornerback pick. Um, we were thin at corner. We, we weren't thin at corner, but we did need help in the backfield with some youth. Um, I think he's another big physical corner, just like Stefan Gilmore. He reminds me a little bit of Brandon Browner, but with more speed um, and more physicality. I really love that pick. Uh, Chase Winovich, defensive end. He's going to hit. Oh, man, he's going to bring a lot of energy to that offensive line. It'll bring a lot of energy and youth to that defense. Um, I really like the pick. If he needs to put his hand hand in the ground, he can put it in the ground. If he can stand up, he can. If he can play in coverage as a linebacker, outside linebacker, he can play in coverage. He's a really good pickup. Um, Damian Harris, the running back, kind of threw me off a loop a little bit. But then I started to think about it. I was like, actually, it makes sense. Because one thing we do want to have is a balanced rushing attack. And having two backs that can go in between the tackles between Till Michelle and Damian Harris is really good um, because you can obviously keep those guys healthy because you're not weighing them down so much. I love that pick. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his kid's names correctly, but Yodin Justy. I'm sorry, I completely butchered your name. Um, But out of, you know, West Virginia, being a starter starting offensive tackle, I think he played really great and really well. Um, he has great hands, um, great feet and movement in the pocket, great awareness, size, speed. Um, now, some people were asking, he's like, well, wait, didn't y'all draft Isaiah Wynn? I was like, yeah, we did. But the thing with Isaiah Wynn is, one, he's coming off ACL, so you don't know how that's going to heal. And two, even if um, Yachty is greater at left tackle, we can always move Isaiah Wynn. He's able to move on the line, provide depth at certain positions. He knows how to play, so I'm not really worried about that. Um, getting another guard is very impressive. Um, Jared Stidham at quarterback. I don't know if he's a future quarterback. I really don't. Um, but the first five picks, I love. All of our picks, I love because we added depth, youth, and athleticism to this football team. I think they had the best draft. I think they drafted for players of need. Excuse me. I believe they solved a lot of issues that they had last year. And I love it. They got big. They got physical. They got strong. And they got athletic. And that's something that they needed to do. Um, so overall, I'll give the New England Patriots an A plus when it comes to their draft. Um, the Carolinas pick, Will and Greer kind of threw me off. Maybe they're preparing for the future. Maybe don't see Cam Newton staying long term. I don't know, um, but they do need a backup plan for when he's not playing. Because if he doesn't play, they ain't got no quarterback. And it showed last year when Cam doesn't play, they don't have a quarterback. So I have an issue with that pick. Um, was it, what's another team in the draft that I was surprised by? Um, I was surprised by the Colts. They traded back a lot and were loading up on picks for next year's draft. Um, which could be a good move. It also could be a bad move. Um, 
Who else? Colts, Bengals had a terrible draft. Um, Dolphins, Dolphins teams in the Patriots division. Which one had the best draft? Jets are always drafting defense. So, I mean, they drafted defense players. Nothing new. Um, they did draft that kid. I think that kid out of Baylor. I believe they drafted him. Um, the Bills, defense. Dolphins, defense. Traded for Josh Rosen. We'll see how he works out. Um, but, I mean, the other AFC's teams didn't really do much. In the draft, so they're, I mean, it was just really a bad, um, it wasn't overall a good draft. Um, Tennessee, eh, Jacksonville, you know, could have, you know, traded for offense, got offense on their team, but they decided to go defense in the first round. So, you know, I, you know, offense apparently wasn't a big enough going issue for you last year. I guess you believe you just have a better quarterback and Nick Foles, everything is just going to turn around. Still should have added young pieces to the offense. Um, should I, I can't remember if they drafted a running back, but I would have drafted a running back because Leonard Fournette cannot stay healthy at all. These playoffs, ladies and gentlemen, have been absolutely fantastic. They're everything that we had hoped they would be. Um, I can't wait to see games two, Boston at Milwaukee. Houston at Golden State. It's it, it's going to be a show. It's going to be absolutely fantastic uh, Tuesday night. Um, I will be watching those games, obviously. Boston at 8, Golden State at 10.30. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to you guys about the results at the end of the game. Uh, my picks, my heart, I want Boston to win tonight. But my mind tells me that the smart pick might be to uh, pick Milwaukee, but I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee wins. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston wins, so I'm kind of in between on that, but I would, I had to put a pick on it. Milwaukee might win, but, but I probably will change my mind depending on how the first quarter of the game goes. Uh, with game two, I want Golden State to win that game. I think they'll be focused. I think they'll be ready. I think they'll be locked in defensively, and I think they will make Houston cry and crumble. At least that's my hope. I think they will do that. I think they will force Houston to do a lot of things that they're not comfortable doing, and I think they won't be able to blame the refs in game two. They can only blame themselves. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That wraps up this episode of the Out of Bounds podcast. I am the best host out there. Malcolm Campbell, a.k.a. The Professor. I can't wait for the next episode, y'all. Till then, peace.